Hi, welcome back to Unsolved South. I'm Michelle. And I'm Maddie. I'm excited to be back with y'all, and I'm excited about the story I have to tell today. I'm so excited about your story. It's going to be super fun. Uh, anything new you want to talk about? Mm, not really. I mean, we had dinner tonight, and I cooked Noah's favorite um, cube steak rice and gravy, and we had corn on the cob, and my baby tore up that corn on the cob like there was not a single kernel left. And so I gave him another one, and he tore up that second one, too. It was crazy. <laughs> that boy is an eater. He loved it. He is something oh, yeah. else. Okay, so before we get started with today's story, I want to shout out to a listener, Lindsay. I'm going to guess it's two, but if I'm wrong, you can just let me know I'm wrong. I'll correct it. But she um, posted on our Facebook page a link to an article about uh, the little girl in the barrel from North Carolina. And it was super interesting. I may do the story at some point, so I don't know how much detail I want to go into. That's not really a mystery, so I won't do it. I'll just tell you now. So basically, um, <laughs> <laughs> listen, it's been it's been a week or so since I read the story. So if I'm off on the details, the link is there. Y'all can go read it and and get the details right. But basically what it was was there was this little girl and her father was a sailor and she always wanted to go with him and um her mother would never allow her her father would never allow her you know because back in the day it was dangerous on a ship for even adults and um at some point i want to say she was like four or five but i could be completely wrong on that Anyway, um, she wants to go, and she asks every time, and finally her parents are like, okay, you can go this time. And the mother tells the father, she said, whatever you do, you bring my baby back to me. And so they go do the trip and everything, and the little girl gets sick, and she dies. And so normally they would throw the, they would do a burial at sea. And he didn't want to do that because he had made the promise to his wife that he would bring her back. And so they had whiskey barrels in the ship and he put her in one of those barrels to preserve her body so he could bring it back to his wife. And when they get it back, he doesn't want to traumatize his wife by opening the barrel and having her see the little girl who's been soaking in this whiskey for however many weeks. And so when they had the funeral, they buried her in the whiskey barrel. Oh, my goodness. So it was... I don't know, it was a sweet story because he wanted to keep that promise to his wife and everything. It was a tragic story because the baby tragic, died. Tragic, nonetheless. It was, mm-hmm. the whole, but anyway, it was worth reading, so uh, if you get a chance, she's shared it with us on the Facebook page, and it, it was a really interesting read, so, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate you listening. She also had uh, talked about how she would have gone off on that heifer that wouldn't give Kayla candy because she was too old for trick-or-treating. Uh, same. I oh, wished yeah. I had, uh, wished I had been closer witnessed, but that's all right because I probably would have gone to jail <laughs> and don't nobody need that. My whole life would have changed. Anyway, <laughs> so back to this week. Okay. This story, I am so super excited about it because it has... It is, like, all over the place. There, like, I can think of so many different scenarios as to what is happening here. I'm super excited about it. It wasn't even the story I was going to do this week, but I want to know what everybody thinks about it. I want to discuss it with somebody, and I haven't been able to because the people in my real life that I try to discuss stuff with, they're like, don't tell me I'm going to (laughs) listen And so I'm like, I don't have anybody to discuss it with. And I don't tell you most of the time about the stories because that way when I tell you on the show, your reaction's genuine. 
Yeah. So I haven't been able, I've had this story done for a while, but I haven't been able to discuss it with anybody. And I'm, I was like, I just cannot wait anymore. This story is <laughs> so going to go back it. to 1957. And it is about the disappearance of Mr. and Mrs. Patterson. Are you ready? Ooh, I'm ready. I buckled my seatbelt. All right. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit name heavy, and um, I don't know about y'all, but I forget to listen to people's names sometimes when they get sick, so Same. I'm going to try to remind y'all who everybody is as we're going along, just in case y'all forget, so so don't worry too much about it, Good, but there I'm are going to be like a lot of names, and I would leave them out if they weren't important to the story, but they're important. I'm also going to try to end my answers. I'm not going to end them, but I'm going to I'm going to limit them. Cuz I almost did it. Limit them. How myself. many are you giving yourself? I don't know, like 40, 50. <laughs> 40. <laughs> I don't want to count know. 40 or 50 and leave them. I am I do try. I know <laughs> No, you think it? I don't know where it comes from, and I don't know if I say it in my everyday life because I don't recognize me saying it here most of the time. So I don't know. I don't know where that's coming from. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I do know that I probably didn't do the best of job um, taking them out last week because we had a lot of like, um, what's it called, feedback from one of our mics so I was having a really hard time with it and it just took up all my time and I was like you know what I've been editing this for hours it's it's good enough so I probably I didn't take out as many it yet, as I usually do oh that might be terrible did somebody it? complain or something no it's just you put it in my head and now I think about it anytime I start to do <laughs> one of the stories <laughs> and sometimes now oh, I hear it when I say it and I'm like, oh, darn. But uh, so I stopped myself just then because <laughs> I almost said it again. But I'm going to try not to for real. All uh, right. You put it in my head. So now I think I'm more conscious of it happening. I think we should get you a shirt made that says Enso. I agree. Did I tell my Frogger story? Frogger story? Yeah, about thinking I got I a think Frogger so. in my house. Okay, remind me to tell y'all that at no. the end of this thing, because this is a big thing, and right, I didn't tell you, make a note, because let me uh, be reminded to tell this, if I got time, because this story's long. Okay, we're getting started. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Margaret M. Patterson was 42, and her husband, William D. Patterson, was 52. They seemed to be living the good life in El Paso, Texas. They were well off. They owned several different properties, including a property in Mexico. They owned a vacation cabin, a boat, a nice car, nice house. It seemed like they were having the best life. They also owned a photography store, and William held an interest in a high-end boat company. Boats were absolutely his passion. Things seemed to be going so great for them, but were they really? On the night of March 5th, a neighbor lady comes over to the Pattersons to offer them some Girl Scout cookies. Oh yes, it's about to be Girl Scout season. <laughs> it is, and they were pushing them cookies way back in the 50s too. <laughs> I need a Girl Scout to come sell me some cookies. All right. If anybody's got a Girl Scout, y'all contact Matt one through the page. <laughs> okay. I'm the pregnant. neighbor comes I need over. Girl Scout cookies. You do not need Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> yes, I do. I'm pregnant. <laughs> hey, I've been maintaining my weight pretty much. So I haven't gained well, any good. weight from what I've lost. Yeah. Well, I've that's actually exciting. lost a couple pounds. So. I'm doing good. I can have good. Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> you can have Girl Scout cookies. Okay, so this neighbor lady, she comes over. She's offering them Girl Scout cookies. And later she reported that Margaret was very upset. 
and that William seemed like he was annoyed that she had come over. She left, but she thought it was really odd because usually they were very friendly. And the next day, the neighbors discovered that the couple was gone. They had seemingly left in the middle of the night. The what? house was... Man, they must not like Girl Scout cookies. <laughs> yeah, they were like, all oh, these Girl Scouts, I've had enough. It's Girl Scout season again, I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> The house was in somewhat disarray in that there were dishes in the sink and there were clothes tossed about like they had packed in a hurry. Um, side note, y'all don't take dishes in my sink and clothes tossed about as a sign of distress in my house. That's just what it looks like here. <laughs> so, it is Same. what it is. But it is not a sign of distress, like I can assure you. Exactly. Nobody really told anybody that the couple was gone, though. The mail kept coming. What do you mean? The paper kept coming. The utilities were still on. Weirdly, though, Margaret had apparently not made any arrangements for her beloved cat, Tommy, who she treated like a child. And we're going to talk about Tommy a little later because he plays a fairly big part in this story. Oh. William did call his friend, Doyle Kirkland, in the wee hours of March 5th or 6th, depending on how how you want to figure that. But it was late of the night of the 5th or early on the 6th. He called him, and he says, Me and Margaret are going away on an extended trip, and we won't be back for several months. Kirkland was tired, and in his half-asleep state, he could not be positive that it was William, and he would later testify to that. But he, he thought it was, but he could not be positive. Someone else claimed to have contact with them, well, at least one of them, See, William had himself a little 20-something-year-old girlfriend living in Juarez, Mexico. Her name was Estefana. Estefana? She claimed that William had come and seen her in the early hours of March 6th, the morning after they were last seen in El Paso. She said that William told her he had something important to tell her, but, quote, when they come for me, I will have to go in a hurry. She later recanted this statement and said that never happened. So the big question Hmm. here is, where was Margaret while he was talking up Estefana? Yeah. Also, why would Estefana change her story? And did he ever tell her what important thing he had to tell her? Because she never said. Must have. On March 15th, 10 days after they were last seen, their accountant, Herbert Roth, received a telegram with instructions on how he should be dealing with their affairs. Because remember, they've got businesses, they've got properties, they've got all this going on. So he gets a telegram, and it's giving him instructions. He was told to cancel the hotel reservations that they had made in Washington, D.C. for an upcoming Photographers Association convention that they had planned to attend in the middle of spring. He was told to rent their house out until the middle of December. He was told to sell the mobile home that they owned and use that money to help supplement the photography store. You following so far? Yeah. Okay. Speaking so of the really photography store. For pretty much all of their stuff. Right. So it must have been him. Maybe. And he must have so been So speaking of the photography back. store, the telegram instructed him to hire Doyle Kirkland to manage the store. Remember, Kirkland's the one he called the night he went missing. Yeah. 
Kirkland ran a competing business, Duffy Photo Services. But him and William had been friends so why for would a he while. Want, what? They were friends. Still, they're competitor, competitors. And the guy knows what he's doing, I guess, because he runs a business. Kirkland believed that he was the last person to see the Petersons in their home because he was at their house the day before they disappeared. But I personally believe it would have to be the neighbor that came over pushing the Girl Scout cookies. And he didn't report. He reported that everything seemed normal. And she reported that Margaret was um, upset and that William was annoyed. So she had reported something out of the ordinary. And he said everything seemed normal when he talked to him, which makes me believe he actually saw them before she did. The telegram itself came from Western Union in Dallas, Texas. And I've seen two different versions of this. One said that it was called in from a payphone near the airport and that the signature was William H. Patterson. But remember, his middle initial was D, not H. The Mm. other version of the story said that the person had come in and sent it and that it was paid for in change in coins and that no one in the store could say who did it or who who it was that had come in and that there was no signature on the telegram so there were two different versions floating i'm not sure which is correct neither version makes complete sense because how could they know it was paid for in nickels and dimes but they don't remember who did that yeah, I feel like if you're paying me in nickels and dimes, I'm looking at you the whole time you're counting it out. Right, and they have no With kind of eye. description at all that I could find. And then the other version with the wrong signature, it makes more sense. But how did they pay for it if it was called in? But if they called it in and yeah. they used a payphone and it was near the airport, it's possible that the background could have been loud and then the person taking down the information could have just misunderstood what they said or could have just written the wrong letter. True. The letters D and H, if I'd say those out loud, they don't sound anything alike. They don't, but if See, there's an if airplane flying like by. C and E, you wouldn't have known. True. But somebody could have just written the wrong letter. I mean, they could have said D and the person just wrote H. I mean, I've definitely done that before. I've definitely had something else in my mind. Probably not with the letter, but I've definitely been thinking about something. Like I'm thinking about I need to do laundry and I'm writing and the next thing you know, I write laundry. So, I mean, it's possible that (laughs) it was that. And, I mean... Payphones aren't exactly quiet, and they're in public places by nature, and and there's an airport, so it's possible that, you know, planes flying over, whatever. There may have just been some kind of miscommunication, or could have been sent by somebody that was not him. True, but why would you even put a middle initial at all if you weren't him? I don't know, but why would you put the wrong one if you were him? Unless it was just a miscommunication. See, it's weird. That's what I was telling you. It's, it's got a lot of it's got yeah. a lot of weird stuff. Soon after that, the Patterson's attorney received a letter and it was dated effective May 29th, 1957. It stated that the couple was leaving the country. And it contained instructions Mm -hmm. on how they were to handle the assets. Despite William having a father and a sister that were still living and that he was in contact with, all of their belongings were to go to non-relatives. Doyle. They were to be distributed as follows. One quarter each would go to Herbert Roth, the accountant... Doyle Kirkland, the competition friend, and Mm -hmm. an employee at the photography store, 24-year-old Arthur Mm. Marino. 
the last quarter yeah. was to be divided amongst all the other employees that worked for them. What? Marino, the employee, was also gifted the house and all the furniture. Kirkland was oh, gifted no. the vacation cabin, the tools, the boat, and the Cadillac. And what Doyle get? A quarter of the money. No, Doyle That's is Kirkland. It? Doyle Kirkland is the one that oh, he bad. was given the vacation cabin, the tools, the boat, and the Cadillac. That's a lot. My bad. You were calling Roth him is who Doyle I thought you were asking. Roth just got a Kirkland. quarter of the money. Yeah, this is Doyle. This is like a group effort, and it was Doyle mostly. He's the mastermind behind it. So you think his friend killed him? He ain't no friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. We ain't even close to doing it. <laughs> now, this letter was typed out, and it was signed W.D. Patterson. Handwriting experts were eventually brought in to look over it, and they concluded that although the signature, when compared to his known signature, was very similar there were enough discrepancies that they could not conclusively say if it was him or not that had signed this. I mean, for lack of a better term, it's a will. See, it's a distribution of their assets that, while they're alive. See, my signature, every time I sign it, is different. Every single time. It never Depending looks the on same. how I'm how I'm sitting or what kind of mood I'm in or, you know, am I in the car signing something? Am I at the table signing it? Um Yeah, I mean you're right. And and the but it your was similar enough. Your signature is pretty distinctive. Like I could tell your signature if it was your signature or not. But I I mean I have signed I stuff where it would look all different than normal. Because sometimes I start, yeah. and my first name is more straight up, and then I, I start to lean by the time I get to my second name. Yeah. I feel like you probably could say, no, this is definitely not, but I don't know if you would 100% be able to say, yes, this definitely is. You know what I mean? And I yeah. think that's what the handwriting experts ran into. If if it was not him, it was a, a pretty good forgery. Because they could mm-hmm. not say either way. It doesn't matter if it was really his signature, kind of, because um, as far as this inheritance is concerned, half of everything that was listed belonged to Margaret. And she had not signed this document. And William's signature was not witnessed on the document. So without that... None of it was legally binding as a will or as a directive of inheritance. Good. The telegram, though, must have stood legally speaking because the house was rented out in July. Uh Uh-huh. And um, Kirkland Doyle, he was hired at the store. Parts of that, at least, must have been, they must have been convinced enough that it was him to get that stuff rolling. Earlier, you might have noticed that I said that people later testified or the expert eventually looked at the handwriting. So let me stop and explain here. Mm -hmm. The Pattersons, although last seen March 5th, were not actually reported missing until August 15th. That was because one of William's friends finally asked the sheriff to look into their disappearance because he just felt like something was off. And the sheriff wasn't convinced that they had actually disappeared. Whenever he would go ask anybody, they would say, oh yeah, they took a trip. They'll be back in December. That's what the note to the, uh, to the accountant said rent the house until the middle of December. So every time the sheriff goes and interviews one of their friends or relatives, they're like, oh yeah, they took a trip. They're going to come back in December. So he's not sure if they're even missing. But they rented this house out in July. Well, in August, 
a cat starts showing up at the house. And the renters, because this cat keeps coming around, they want to make sure that it's vaccinated and they want to make sure that it, um, you know, that it's not sick or anything. So they want to make sure it's got its rabies vaccines and all of that. So they gather it up and they take it to the local vet. And the mm-hmm. cat reacted when it saw the vet staff and they recognized the cat. It was the Patterson's cat, Tommy who Margaret loved like a child. She just 100% loved this cat. And they all recognized this cat as Tommy because they had seen him on many occasions. He had always been boarded with them whenever the Pattersons would go out of town. They would board him at the vet. And she always would make arrangements whenever they were leaving town to make sure Tommy was well taken care of the people that rented the house out they just left Tommy with the vet since Tommy knew the vet and the vet knew Tommy and they knew that the vet would take care of him so they just left him there with the vet the cost of the vet was do you want to guess 1957 to board a cat board a cat for how long just a day for what would it cost you for one day to put a cat up for food and and taking care of it and all of that for one day? Uh, they were rich, so I'm gonna go seven fifty, like seven dollars. It cost a dollar a day to board Tommy, what? and the vet knew that Tommy was not good for that money. They contacted yeah. the photo supply store and they spoke to the manager there. None other than Herbert Roth, the accountant. Oh, wait, the accountant took over? I thought Doyle did. Doyle, the competition friend, had become the president of Duffy Photo. So he had left town and Herbert had taken over the Patterson store. Huh. Anyway, Herbert says he does not believe that that's Tommy and he's not going to pay anything to the vet unless he is instructed by the Pattersons to do so. So the vet goes and he gets several people that are close to the Pattersons to ID Tommy and every one of them agrees that is definitely Tommy. The police finally found out that Tommy had come back to town And that was what actually convinced them that something was going on with the Pattersons and they may actually be missing and not on just an extended trip because she would not have left Tommy just roaming the world. So that is what actually convinced everybody, wait, we need to seriously take a look at this. So finally... They held an inquiry to see if they could figure out what was going on in this situation. One of William's friends testified that he had actually lied and told people that he had heard from William in June. And that was because William had once told him, if I was ever to go missing, I need you to make it look like I've been in contact with you and like everything is fine. Why? Why would he do that? He didn't explain. But this guy was apparently a good friend. He had his back. The lawyer testified that about the letter he had received. And Kirkland, the competition friend, testified about that middle-of-the-night phone call he had received. Mm-hmm. In the end, after all this testimony, they couldn't figure out if there had been a crime or not and they just left it up in the air well meanwhile some of their other friends said well they will plan to take part in another inquest after mid-december if the pattersons don't come back but they really felt like they were just out of town and everybody was overreacting and so they didn't want to be a part of this one But if there's another one at the end of the year, we'll be a part of that one if they're not back. Their friends are wild, are they not? (laughs) They are. Now, this story is in the paper. 
there are unconfirmed sightings of them all over the U.S. and Mexico. Police received a tip that one of the Pattersons, William, was in a sanitarium in Dallas, Texas. That is where the phone call, the payphone was used to call in that telegram to give information to the accountant, remember? Mm -hmm. So that's what the police are told. They get this tip. Herbert, the accountant, goes to Dallas, Texas, and he goes to do the investigation there. And he says he went to every sanitarium around Dallas, near in the area of Dallas, and checked it out, and none of them had William or Margaret. So he says, oh no, this isn't true. I went and investigated. Huh. I thought it was odd that the accountants would go do the investigation and not like the police would call up and say, hey, Dallas PD, can y'all check the hospital and see are these people there? Because the story was that he had been admitted into the sanitarium and that she had moved there to be near him. And so she was living in Dallas near the hospital. I guess they didn't want anybody to know, so they made up this story about being out of town. But Herbert says, this is not true. I went, I investigated. You know, there's no truth to this. So, you know what I say about that. Now, William's father gave an interview to the paper. And he says that he's not concerned and that his son made a living out of doing, quote, sleight of hand tricks. And that he had taken off before and he'll be back. Wow. You just called his son a con artist. Exactly. But I, like, this was a successful businessman. And yeah. I, I really didn't see anything. Like, it wasn't like anything came out later that pointed to him scamming people or anything like that. No money laundering or anything? Nothing came out like that. So it wasn't like he skipped town and then they found out that his business was going under and he owed all these people money. Nothing like that came up. So I don't know what the father meant by that. But years later, after there was no word of either of them, the father did change his mind and say that he did believe his son was dead. He thought he would have heard from him by then. But at the time when he's missing, when it hits the papers, he's like, nah, I'm not worried. His words sparked a fire in El Paso with a nurse that decided to offer her own money up as a reward for information leading to finding the couple. Her name was Miss Pinnock. And she offered up $10. Now, in today's money, that would be over $100. Which you can say, well, that's not that much. But honestly, how much would you offer up to find a stranger? So, I mean, good on her. Exactly. There you go. She said, and this is a quote, because she was very upset by the father's interview with the paper. She said, that Chicago man should keep out of the business of Texas Longhorns if he doesn't care what happened to his son. Then she went on to say, we care what happens to El Paso residents. He has no business in this if he doesn't care. So, I don't know. She, she had is some very, um, vocal father about it. issues or what. But she was very offended by his or saying, I'm not she secretly concerned. knew William. Could be. I don't know. She said that she thought there were too many murders going unsolved in Texas. And that the citizens needed to get involved. And that was why she put up the money. And being the amateur detective that she was, bless her heart. She had decided that the Pattersons had been murdered by someone with a motive. 
Now, along with this nurse's $10, a Miss Addie Godlove kicked in $20 mm-hmm. of her own money. And she also agreed Ooh. that there were too many murders going High unsolved. Roller. But she didn't really have an opinion on this particular case. So were there a lot of murders going on? I did not. And I meant to time? go back and, and look that up and mm-hmm. see if that was true. And I will at some point. But um, I did not before I finished this story. I got sidetracked because um, I was wrapping the story up along right along these lines. And then I mm-hmm. ran across something else that like threw another twist. And, and I got sidetracked. So I'm going to make myself a note to look into Texas murders in the 50s. I mean, they both said it, so maybe. Also, you know, I don't know, judging off of, like, Leave it to Beaver and stuff, it seemed like a safe time, so probably if anybody got murdered, that was too many going unsolved. But I thought it was interesting that they both believed that these people got murdered. They didn't believe they got kidnapped or that they had run off. They both seemed to believe that they were murdered. So, Miss Godlove, she doesn't have an opinion about this particular case, although she does agree about too many murders. And the day after their reward hit the papers, which was just a couple days before Halloween, oddly enough, Miss Pinnock, mm-hmm. the nurse, received a phone call at her house. It was a smooth-voiced man telling her that W.D. Patterson is in a sanitarium and Mrs. Patterson is staying near him. Don't waste your money on a reward for information on them. She asked this man's name and he refused to answer, but he emphasized that he was just trying to save her from wasting her money. Hmm. Now, this could have been somebody connected that wanted her to stop digging or Doyle. it could have been just some nosy nelly that was like oh this this lady is wasting her money i know what happened i heard through the grapevine and decided to call and tell them so we really don't know which but it's weird that he wouldn't give a name yeah and that he kept repeating i'm trying to stop you from wasting your money so that's weird right very weird The police started talking to everybody who knew the Pattersons. They're trying to get information on Margaret's next of kin because they don't have anybody to notify on her. They're hoping that if they find her next of kin, they can question them. Maybe they've been in contact with the couple. Maybe they know something. But they can't find out who her next of kin is they start asking all their friends and neighbors and nobody knows anything about her past at all the closest they came was when a friend said that margaret was raised in a convent in kentucky and another friend said oh yeah that's true it was in Louisville, kentucky and the police searched that and they couldn't find any any proof that that was true The police believed that her maiden name might have started with an M because she signed her name Margaret M. Patterson. And especially back at that time, women would use their maiden name as their middle name. So the police managed to trace the land records from their house to learn that in 1946, William's dad had deeded them the house and the furniture. On that deed, Hmm. Margaret's name on that paperwork was listed as Margaret Mary Patterson. So they figured, well, Mary is not a last name. That's got to be her middle name. So they're still on the search. Yeah. And I didn't find how they finally traced her, but finally the police did find that she was raised on a farm in Owensboro, Kentucky, and she had six siblings, and she had chose to leave home at a young age. 
Somewhere along the way, she had met and married William. Her family did not approve at all. So she chose to cut them off instead of leaving William. By the time her family was notified that she was missing in 1957, it had been more than 20 years since they had heard from her, and so they had already assumed that she had died. And I don't know why they would just assume she had died. <laughs> like, that that's not where I think my mind yeah, would have gone. Yeah, that seems weird. No, I thought she was dead. No. So, I, I thought that was a little weird. Also, I never did find out what her maiden name was. Even in all of this, nobody ever said what her maiden name was. There was no marriage license or nothing at that time? They could not find the marriage license because they could not figure out where they were married. Oh. I also am curious why the family would not have approved of William. And it made me wonder if maybe the father was right and he was like a con artist but maybe he conned people out of the money and then he started the businesses and went legit. Because I think it's kind of weird mm. that her family wouldn't approve. Also, there was a 10-year age difference. So I guess yeah. if she was 17 and he was 27, I can see where the family might be like, hey, you know, you need to leave this man alone. Yeah. But I guess we'll yeah. never know. Also, in October of 1957... Because remember, that's where we are with the reward right before Halloween. Mm-hmm. We're still in October, and a man named Earl Stedham, and I am 100% going to mispronounce that again at some point, because I want to call him Stedman, like Oprah Winfrey's boyfriend. And I have typed <laughs> I it out like Oprah 16 Winfrey's times. Dating. <laughs> Oprah Winfrey's been dating Stedman for like 50 years. She won't marry him, I don't pay attention. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Anyway, Stedham, for some reason, is hard for me to say, and I don't know why. So, if y'all hear me mispronounce that, just ignore it. Now, Earl worked for a real estate company, and in the course of his job, he was riding around, and he spotted a boat in a yard. And he had been looking to buy a boat, so he was like, hey, let me stop and ask if they want to sell it. So a lady comes out, and he asks her about the boat, and she's like, oh, I don't know anything about it. And so she says, well, hold up, I'll make a call, and I'll ask if they want to sell it. And he's like, cool, can I look at it and um, just check it out while you're doing that? She's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And she leaves, starts to make the call. So Earl is looking at this boat, and he realizes that he's seen this boat before. As a matter of fact, he was on a fishing trip at the beginning of the year in this very boat. It was a boat that definitely belonged to his friend, Pat. Pat was his nickname for William Patterson. Uh Oh. So this lady comes back. And she's got a phone number for him. And he goes home and he calls it. And that person gives him a different phone number. Which he again calls. And this number is to Patterson's Photoshop. And he's connected to the manager, Herbert. Herbert wants to know who told him about the boat. Earl says, nobody told me about it. I was driving by and I saw it. But Herbert is insistent that somebody must have told him about the boat or he would not have known where the boat was. Earl finally says, what do you mean? I don't know his name. I just know him by sight. Herbert says, well, find out what his name is and call me back. Earl decides, I'm going to call the cops instead. (laughs) And so he does. And he tells them what happened. Here's the thing. Herbert never said to Earl if he knew where the boat was or not. The only thing that he said was, who told you about the boat? Yeah. So, it could go either way. But it's definitely... Earl thought it was odd enough for him to call the police. So, we'll leave it at that for right now. Earl said that the only thing he knew was, quote, 
Pat would have been very angry if he knew that his boat was being treated like that. Pat would never leave his boat out like that. He'd turn over in his grave, and that must be where he is now before he would let this happen to his boat. Everybody's killing off these people. Same. If my car is just found abandoned, something has happened to me. So I can see what he means. Yeah. When the police go investigate, they find this boat in the yard of one Oscar Marino. Does that same name sound a little bit familiar? Uh, is that the employee? Well, close. Oscar says that his brother, Arthur Marino, the employee, had parked this boat hmm. in his yard. Remember... Arthur Marino was set to inherit the house and the furniture and some money. And he was the one that took the boat and put it in his brother's yard. So Marino said that he moved it, The Arthur said he moved the boat when the house got rented to keep it safe. But Earl says that the boat's in disrepair, that it's not being taken care of, that it's just ditched in this yard. The police questioned the renters from the Patterson's home, Mm -hmm. and they said, yes, some men had come soon after they had moved in, and they thought the men were from the rental agency, and they came and took the boat. So I, know, I imagine these people that rented this house are like, man, I better be getting a good deal on this house because <laughs> I got this cat up here showing up, getting me questioned by the police. <laughs> I got this boat showing up and now <laughs> I'm getting questioned by the police. <laughs> I better be getting a good deal. Mm-hmm. Well, neither Margaret nor William was ever seen in El Paso again. And they were officially declared dead in 1964. So, what do you think happened to them? Um, I think it was the quadruple. Well, I don't think the employee. Actually, maybe now he is. Okay, the four of them. uh, Herbert and um, Doyle and the employee and... That's it, right? Herbert, Doyle, the employee... Yeah, you said four, but I I didn't know who. The lawyer was sorry. I was going off of that. It was split into quarters. Their assets were split into quarters, but the employees got the rest of them. Never mind. Right. So those three, they killed them. It was a group effort in order to steal all their money, and then one of them took in the cat. That's why the cat wasn't seen for a while, and then the cat got out of the house and went home. And that's why the cat showed up just randomly one day. Maybe. Okay, so Mm -hmm. let's look at the evidence that talks, that kind of leads you to think that maybe they disappeared on their own. The house looked like they had packed and left in a hurry. William supposedly showed up. Or signs of a struggle. Well, I mean, it wasn't like furniture was overturned. It was just like clothes and dishes. I mean, but maybe. William showed up at the girlfriend's house, supposedly, the day after he was missing. Yeah, but I'm thinking she was paid to keep her mouth shut. Maybe. Um, People. That's why she retracted her statement. I mean, that's possible. So, William told people that if he had disappeared, that they needed to make it look like he had been in contact, which kind of leads you to believe that he had a plan in place. Mm-hmm. Okay, this was this was kind of a, a, a sticking point for me, is that they canceled the plans for the convention, that they canceled the hotel for that convention. And here's why. Not that many people would have known that they had booked a hotel for this convention. Mm -hmm. I highly doubt this was common knowledge. And it's not like they had Facebook or anything where they would have posted their plans. And it was still a couple weeks out. The fact that they thought to cancel it Mm -hmm. makes it feel to me like it was them. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I guess. 
I do feel well, what you're I mean, saying. like it makes sense. Would a psycho killer have been like, "Oh, I better cancel those hotel <laughs> reservations"? I mean, I mean, if they were trying to make it seem like they left and went to the hospital, then yeah, maybe. So, if you're going off of that route, then it would have had to be some very specific people that would have disappeared them. Because not that many people would have known that they had booked that hotel. They gave a date for their return. So, it's not like they just left it open-ended. They said, we'll be back by the middle of December. Which is a strange... It's a strange time, I think. I don't know. I... The whole given the date thing also kind of throws me off. Yeah. Did somebody make them disappear? Let's go over the evidence that supports that. No plans were made for Tommy and they did not take him with them. Which I kind of feel like they would have, she would have tried to take him. And if she could not take him, I don't, I have a hard time believing she just left him to fend for himself. Same. Okay, here's another one. This is new information. Five days before she disappeared, Margaret dropped off a fur coat to have it cleaned and remodeled, which I found means that they actually changed the design to kind of update it so it would be with current styles. I did not know that. What? She told the people that she would contact them in a few days and give them specific instructions on how she wanted it modeled and what she wanted Mm -hmm. done to it and she never did this was five days before she disappeared so where's that coat now um they found the ticket and um Mm -hmm. went to the police and stuff and were like hey you know she had dropped this coat off and everything it was with the people she dropped it off with now what did they do with it after that i have no idea my assumption is maybe it got taken into custody or maybe it became part of their estate maybe They never touched any of their bank accounts after they were gone. And there were rumors that they had other accounts elsewhere. But the police did look into that and they could not find any other accounts. So once they left, they did not touch their bank accounts again. The money in them just sat. And they didn't have any, like, cash money? They may have had cash. It would be hard to track. If they had, like, a go bag or something, nobody would know Mm -hmm. about that. But as far as the money in their bank accounts, it never got touched. Then there was this, which is also new information. Much of their very expensive jewelry went missing with them, including a watch that William was really proud of. He had had it specifically made to keep time up to the second which I guess was not that heard of back then because they said it was really a hard job to get it there. And it was known to be one of the finest watches in Texas. And he was super proud of this. Hmm. This watch went missing with him. And a diamond ring that Margaret had recently purchased for $2,000. And that is almost $22,000 in today's money. Jeez. Now... In a way, this could be a clue to them leaving on their own because they could take the jewelry and sell it and have traveling money. But hear me out on this. Margaret bought this ring on credit. And she paid some of it, but the majority of the balance was still due. And the Pattersons had Mm -hmm. an excellent credit rating. And according to the El Paso Credit Authority... Their borrowing ability, borrowing ability, (laughs) that was so country. (laughs) It was so country when it came out. I had to correct myself. (laughs) It just came flying out. (laughs) Just the cornbread (laughs) came right out. Okay, let me try it again. According to the El Paso Credit Authority, their borrowing ability was virtually unlimited. So basically, if they said, I want it, they could get it. That's how good their credit was. Yeah. Dang. They had never missed a payment on anything. 
even after they went missing arrangements were made for their bills utilities all of that to be paid except for they the did ring. not make arrangements to pay for this ring it is the only thing hmm. that they missed a payment on so why would you make arrangements to pay all your bills if you're skipping town unless you do plan on coming back though yeah and you could have just cleaned out your bank accounts and just ditched the property and all of that but took your bank account money and ran with that true but it kind of makes sense to for someone else to arrange for the bills to be paid if they wanted to throw off the investigation like if they disappeared the couple and then they were like well I don't want nobody to look into it right yet then it yeah. makes sense that someone who was able to schedule payments might schedule payments. Just going to throw that out there. There are rumors now that their house, which was on Piedmont Drive, is um, haunted. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know if it is or not, but there are rumors, which means they could have been killed in the house. And it got haunted. Mm-hmm. One final little bit of this story that throws a whole new thing in, a whole new coat of light on it, paint, whatever. <laughs> okay. In 1984, a man came forward, and he has a story that would cause this case to be reopened. He says that he was hired to clean that house on Piedmont after the Pattersons disappeared. And while he was cleaning, he found blood under and around the hot water heater, which was in the garage. And he found a piece of human scalp on the propeller of the boat. He also said he had witnessed some, quote, associates of the couple carry out some bloody sheets and place them in the trunk of a car. He said he had kept quiet all this time because he was undocumented and he didn't want to draw attention to himself or have any kind of contact with the police. With all this time passing, though, because this is 1984, this happened in 57. So this is a long time that has passed. So they were never able to verify his story. And he died in a car wreck two years after he came forward. Hmm. I did some digging. There was a newspaper report in in the El Paso Herald Post. It was page two on October 29th, 1957. And it states, according to the people that printed it, the house was thoroughly cleaned and put in order. Not according to the people that rented it. Just take that whole part out. <laughs> okay. According to the story, the house was thoroughly cleaned and put in order before the realty firm got instructions to rent it out until December 15th. So they did have this house thoroughly cleaned before they ever planned to rent it out. Hmm. Yeah. They did it. Does that change your theories? Oh, no. It's the guys. The three guys. Okay, I have two major theories on this. And this is my strongest theory, but I I do have another one. I believe the guy that came forward in the 80s, he had no reason to come forward in Mm -hmm. the 80s and tell a story about a case that probably 90% of the people that were even cops then are retired or dead. So he just popped up with this story just for what shits and giggles was like let me tell you what i heard i mean that doesn't make sense so i believe him because i don't think he would have come forward otherwise my theory is that william and margaret got into an argument probably his little girlfriend had called the house and margaret answered she confronts him the neighbor Mm -hmm. comes over and interrupts that fight that's why Margaret's upset and he's annoyed. You following? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, 
probably in this argument he walks off and goes to shine his boat or whatever and she follows him and they get into an argument and she shoves him he shoves her back she falls and hits her head on the propeller of the boat she dies hmm. he calls herbert doyle herbert doyle and arthur he calls the three of them to help him because mm-hmm. he's tight with them so they help him get rid of the body and then they contact this guy to come clean it up then they set it up to disappear william so he can skip town and they make it look like both of them went on vacation yeah so he leaves herbert and his little gang they clean up this mess and everything and that explains where she was when he went and saw the little girlfriend and it explains why her signature was not on that inheritance paperwork. Hmm. So the plan was probably for William to return in December and him have a little story where Margaret drowned in Mexico or she, however, died, ran off with somebody else, whatever. And then he would come back in yes. mid-December when everything died down and it was plenty of time, plenty of time for him to get past it and all of that, come back and pick up his life where it left off. And that's why they were still paying the bills so his credit could be good when he got back and all of that. It's also why the ring was not paid for because if Margaret is walking around wearing that rock, she would not have forgot they owed that bill. So if she was involved in saying, we need to pay all our bills, Mm -hmm. she would have said, hey, don't forget to pay my ring. But she was not alive. And so he forgot because he probably didn't even know she bought the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's why those three men were going to come into such good fortune with their little inheritance because he was probably like bribing them paying them back for helping him and herbert probably had been sending him money all that time to live off of the accountant Hmm. yeah but then he probably was like hey hey you know it's probably not a great idea for you to come back so you know we need to change up some stuff or whatever you know and then he just decided never to come back because people were suspicious so that's a solid theory i like it I like it too. Here's my second theory, and I'll admit it's a little more out there. But my second theory (laughs) is, okay, we know from the nurse getting mad that William's father was in Chicago. He was not from Chicago, but they did have family in Chicago, and that is where the father was staying. In the 50s, the mafia was really big in Chicago so what if William and Margaret went to visit family they witnessed something on this trip and maybe even they took a picture of it because he owned a photography store so maybe there was a picture taken or something something they should not have seen and maybe they agreed to Mm -hmm. testify or they did testify and so they had to go into hiding to hide from the mob Now, I did some digging, and it's widely believed that witness protection did not start until the 70s. So, that puts it way ahead of this, right? Officially, that is true. But, there were incidents of it being used as early as the 60s. Now, they disappeared in 57, so now we're right here. When Robert F. Kennedy was the Attorney General, he was using witness protection specifically to protect witnesses from the mob in 1961. He was using it widely. So, you don't just jump into it and use it widely, right? You had to start slow. Right. So, if he's using it widely in 61... Then using it sparingly in 57 is probably a possibility, right? Mm-hmm. That would explain why they were weird when the neighbors showed up. Because maybe they had just found out that they were going to have to leave. 
and she was upset by it and he was annoyed that you know they're going through this and this neighbor showed up trying to sell cookies it would explain the arrangements for the bills to get paid because maybe they hoped they could come back after they testified or maybe they were trying to throw off the scent like oh this isn't really them because you know they're not they're still paying their bills they're coming back and keeping them from keeping the mob from looking for them right yeah it also explains the statement the girlfriend made when she said when they come for me i'll have to leave in a hurry what if he was talking about the government if he's talking about the feds or whoever was handling it then like i can talk to you now but when they come to get me to send me wherever i'm gonna have to go in a hurry right so i know now that you just cut ties with everybody if you go into witness protection but back then it was new so i think it's possible that they would allow you to make like limited arrangements or say goodbye to a few people or whatever Mm -hmm. so that just leaves the blood in the garage to tie up and the best i got on that is like maybe a hitman shows up or something and there's like a shootout with the feds and so they tried to cover that up maybe it was the feds that were the associates with the sheets that the guy saw put in the car so that theory is a little more out there but i do think yeah, it is like a viable the theory, theory better i think the first theory is a stronger theory just like you know they say mm-hmm. if you hear hoof prints think i mean if you hear i don't know what <laughs> i can't think of the saying i, I don't really know what it. they say i don't know what they say <laughs> something about hoof prints and zebras <laughs> know <laughs> i literally got halfway through that and then was like have i ever even heard this saying before <laughs> suddenly i do not know what i'm talking about <laughs> but in any case so that's the end of my story and that's the end of my theories on my story we have gone like super over so i'm not gonna tell the frogger story this time but i'll tell it on the next one remind me okay when you hear hoof beats look for horses not zebras thank you very much i got like halfway through i had to google it. it and then i was like is it hoof beats hoof prints none of that sounds right well the next one does say when you hear hooves think horse not zebra so right maybe it's I don't know. I mean, but zebras have hooves too, so that doesn't make sense. So, what the saying means is that it's usually the most obvious thing and not the thing that's just out of left field. So, like, chances are that is what happened is that there was an accident in the garage and he skipped town, but also this other thing could have happened but the probability is more on her having an accident in the garage so gotcha okay well all right well since we're not doing another story let's go ahead and close it out Alrighty. oh also randy says that we forgot to share the podcast last week with some with blank <sighs> oh no yeah let's share so okay so, um, speaking of share, you can follow us on Facebook and share our podcast with a friend and um, join our Facebook discussion group. And, you know, if you post something good, we might shout you out. That's pretty cool. Um, and then uh, you can follow us on Instagram at unsolved underscore south. That's very good. I can't think of a shout out for next week. I mean, a share for last week. That's terrible. Um, share it with someone wearing a yellow shirt. Ooh, that's a good one. And for this week, we're going to share with somebody who loves zebras. Oh, all right. <laughs> that was a good one, too. <laughs> all right. Well, we will all see right, you next week. All right, we all have a wonderful week. We'll see you next story. week. All right. All right bye. bye.